that speaks, dear Lord, would allow it to transform our lives. God, we gather together in your house, uh, and we come to worship you, the one and true Lord, at one table as we gather together here with people across this uh, community of Rock Hill, South Carolina, and this United States. We pray that you would receive our praise and worship to you, dear Lord, as a sweet incense. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So it is great to have everybody here today. I do have some announcements. Hopefully you received a uh, bulletin as you came in. So next Sunday is our uh, Freedom Sunday. It's 4th of July, so we are going to celebrate that. We're going to have a picnic, a concert following the service. So the service begins at 11 o'clock. Sunday school is at 10. So Sunday school is at 10, services at 11. And then you have all the information and stuff, the further information for you there. So, uh, you know, just be mindful of those things that we have. Um, so our children's department is busy. Vacation Bible School is coming up. And we have had a couple of fun Fridays. And last Friday at um, Manchester Meadows, we actually had 17, uh, you know, people there for that, uh, you know, fun Friday. So come out and enjoy that. Uh, I believe this week, yes, it's going to be at Cherry Park. Uh, the next one will be at Cherry Park. So just be mindful of that. Uh, have the kids come out and just have a good time. That would be really good for you. And if you look on the back side of the uh, bulletin, there's a special thing that we have there. And I was really, uh, it, I'm excited about this. It says that we have choir rehearsal. That begins this Sunday night. Okay, so tonight at 6 o'clock. We're going to have choir practice. So we're going to start the choir back up. So that means if you can make a joyful noise or if you can sing really good, go ahead and come. Okay. Um, and we're going to do this choir. And uh, so it's going to kick off uh, and they're going to do rehearsal and stuff this coming Sunday. So come and be a part of that. And you've got all the other announcements that's there. Uh, so just come and be a part of that. Now, are y'all ready to praise and worship God with song? Okay, all right. See, now I'm going to have to do like I did with the first service. So do y'all remember, see, July is almost here, so we're almost halfway to Christmas. And you remember the Christmas play, right? And we had the cat and mouse. They came into the sanctuary, and the mouse, they scurried along the edges of the wall whenever they came in. So let's everybody stand up and let's scurry around the walls so that we can get our calisthenics in so that we can be ready to praise God. Let's go ahead. Come on. Come on. Well, at least I got you to stand up. You don't have to scurry, but let's stand and sing praises unto God. Sing God's great this morning. For all creation cries to Him. Give all breath and worship Him this morning together. Sing all creation cries to you. All creation cries to you. Worshiping in spirit and in truth. Glory to the faithful one, Jesus Christ, God's Son. All creation gives you praise. All creation gives you praise. You alone are truly great. 
For me, it was kind of a harder week this week getting through work. It seems like we had a lot going on, but he delivered. 
I think it got me through it. And I'm pretty sure everybody got through this week the same way, whether you had heartache or you had a, a good day or a good week. You know, either way, I think God sees us through it, and he's going to see us through it over and over and over again, no matter what we face. So he deserves all the glory and praise. So let's give it to him this morning. God be the glory. To God be the glory, great things he has done. So loved he the world that he gave us his son. Who yielded his life and atonement for sin. And opened the life gates that all may go in. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father, to Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has done. Perfect redemption. The purchase of blood to every believer, the promise of God, the vilest defender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon received. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Jesus the Son, and give Him the glory, great things He has done. Great things He has taught us, great things He has done, and great our rejoicing through Jesus the Son. But purer and higher and greater will be our wonder, our transport, with Jesus we see. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory, great things he has Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the earth hear his voice. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let the people rejoice. Oh, come to the Father, through Jesus the Son, and give him the glory. Great things he has things, and I believe great things he will continue to do, for his love is never ending, it is never failing, it is always enduring for all of us, so let's sing about that love and that we will stand in that love and on that rock and that presence that he is, and that we will never fall. When darkness strikes. 
darkness tries to roll over my bones And sorrow comes to steal the joy I own But brokenness and pain is all I know I won't be shaken I won't be shaken doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Shame no longer has a place to hide. Shame no longer has a place to hide. I am not a captive to the light. I'm not afraid to leave my past behind. No, I won't be shaken. No, I won't be shaken. My fear, my fear. Doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, my fear. Doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love, my fear. Doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. There's power this morning to break every chain. There's power that can't break off. There's power that can empty out a grave. There's resurrection power that can say. There's power in your name. Power in your name. There's power. There's power that can break off every chain. There's power that can There's resurrection power that can say power in your name, power in your name. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. My fear. Doesn't stand a chance when I stand in your love. Now I'm standing on the rock. And I am standing on the rock. Oh, I am standing in your love. I am standing on the
what powerful love that is, that it can take away every fear and every doubt that we can have to ultimately trust and give him glory. But what a beautiful and powerful name that is that he can overcome and provide what we need when we need it. So let's give praise to that name, the name of Jesus, the name of God the Father. Nothing can stand against 
What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is, the name of Jesus. So let's sing what a beautiful name. What a beautiful name it is, what a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus Christ, my King. What a beautiful name it is. Nothing compares to this. What a beautiful name it is. The name of Jesus. beautiful name it is, the name of Jesus, the name that we call out to. It's a name above all names. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day that you have given to us. God, we thank you for allowing us to gather together in your house. And God, as we have gathered with all, together with one heart, with all the people here across the community of Rock Hill in this United States. God, I pray that you received our praise as a sweet incense unto you. God, this is your day, and we glorify you in all that we do and all that we say. God, I pray right now, dear Lord, that you would hide me behind your cross. And God, the words that are spoken this morning will be your words. But God, that they will be words of transformation. In Jesus' name, amen. May be seated. Amen. So, as you are here, I would ask that you would turn to the Gospel of Matthew. And in the Gospel of Matthew, if you would turn to the 28th chapter, that is the last chapter in the Gospel of Matthew. So, go ahead and turn there. Uh, so turn to the 28th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20. As you're turning there, I want to, uh, you know, so this, uh, this weekend, I, uh, I had the horrible task of, uh, you know, going to my second job. And for those of you that don't really know what my second job is, is I am the uh, pool monitor at the apartment complex, so they force me to go and to sit in the lounge chairs and stuff beside the pool and watch people and make sure that they don't bring in things that they're not supposed to and that they're not running around and stuff. They, they force me to do that, so they force me to do that Saturday, so I was sitting there just in my lounge chair working. My, you know, just, it's just horrible, right? Uh, yeah. Um, I was nice and relaxed in my lounge chair, uh, you know, this weekend, Saturday, and I was sitting there, and, and I picked up a book and started reading, and there was a conversation that uh, that the author was having with this young lady that he was having dinner with, and she happened to have been a oceanography or a, um, uh, you know, biologist, an ocean biologist, and she had swam and scuba dived, uh, you know, all of the reefs around the world, 
And this gentleman was all excited because he had something to hold a conversation with her because he had just came from scuba diving all around on the, the barrier reef out there. And he was just so excited about the life that was teeming and all the beautiful fish and all that he had, you know, that he was able to see there and, and just experience that great trip of scuba diving. And he was having this conversation with her and then all of a sudden, he said it was like somebody just simply sucked the air out of the room and out of his lungs whenever she made this statement. She told him that within the next generation, every barrier reef in the world will be dead. He was like, wow. He goes, wait a minute, what, can we, is there's nothing that we could do? She's like, there's absolutely nothing that we can do. Even if we did everything for global warming and we stopped the polluting of the air and the pollution of the oceans, she said what has happened in the cause and what's happened to the barrier reef is non-reversible and they are going to die within the next generation. Man, as I was reading that, the air kind of came out of my lungs because Peggy and I went on a cruise and we were able to see some of the uh, the reefs and stuff around and the beautiful fish that was there and just how you know it was just amazing and to know that this lady that studies all of this is saying that it's going to be dead within the next generation I was like man that is traumatic right but you know as a pastor my brain immediately switched to the church because there's a lot of people that feel because of the pandemic and all of the other things that's been going on in the church and around this world that the church in itself is soon to die. Now, I'm not one of those because I can read Matthew chapter 16 verse 18 where it says, Now I say to you that you are Peter, which means rock, and upon this rock I will build my church and all the powers of hell will not conquer it. The church is not going away. Because Jesus Christ, because God ordained the church. But the thing about it is, is that the way that we do church, that's going to change. And there's so many people that are afraid of what it's going to look like. We're afraid as far as what church will look like. Now, I don't know about you, uh, you know, but during the pandemic and even afterwards, uh, you know, my hair has turned grayer and my bald spot back there in the back has gotten a little bit bigger because of the stress on trying to figure out what we're going to do. How are we going to get people to come back into the church? How are we going to build the church and to have God's house to be the way that it was before all of this came about. And see, that's where the churches are now. We don't truly understand the direction and the path that the world's taking. So we're doing anything and everything that we can to find how to get people to come back into the church. Now... I know that some of you know this church. I'm not going to name names, 
But there's a church that posted a video and stuff on Facebook of a child's baptism or children's baptism in the church. And the kids came sliding down the slide into the baptistry for their baptism. How many of y'all have ever seen, have seen that video? Okay, so there's, there's somebody else that's seen that video. Okay, how many of you, whenever I told that story, wrote that church off and said, well, that's not a church that I would ever go to? I want you to know, there will never be a slide into this baptismal pool. There will never be one of those. But whenever we look at that, we can't say that that church is not doing what God truly has for it to do just because there was a slide coming into the baptismal pool. They were doing what they thought they needed to do to bring people into God's house so that they could then worship God. Now, we're afraid of that because sometimes we go too far and we go way off the deep end. But I want us to see, because in Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, Jesus tells us what the church is supposed to be like. So I want us to look at that today. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. Now, this is the last statement in the gospel of Matthew. So this is how Matthew ends his gospel, and he wants us to see the importance of what this states by this being the last words that he has. So I want us to pick up on that. The second thing that I want us to pick up on is that this is the first time, according to the gospel of Matthew, that the disciples have seen Jesus. Okay? So whenever you know those two things, you got those two things, let's look in at verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples left for left for Galilee, going to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some of them doubted. So let's stop there. So the first thing that we get whenever we look into this particular passage of Scripture is that we get what we're supposed to do when we see Jesus. Whenever we get to this and we see this, what are we supposed to do when we see Jesus? We are supposed to worship Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. That is the first thing that we are supposed to do. He tells us right here, right there on the mountain, whenever they saw him, they worshiped him. Now, we're not going to get into the theological battle as far as the disciples not you know, doubting, did half of them doubt, did majority of them doubt, we don't know, we're not going to really deal with that. Uh, you know, so whenever we see this, the first thing that we are supposed to do, that we are supposed to worship Jesus Christ. So Sunday mornings, whenever we come into church on Sunday mornings, that is exactly why we start the church service off with praise and worship. Because whenever we come into God's house, we are supposed to worship God. So we come in and we worship Him with our singing. Wow. We worship God. That's the first thing. So then it goes on and it says here, it says, Jesus came and told His disciples 
I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all of my commands I have given to you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? So right here, in that little passage of Scripture, I gave you what the church is supposed to be. Now, not only did I give you what the church is supposed to be like, but I gave you exactly what Jesus has been doing for the last three and a half years to the disciples. Right? Jesus has been living with these people 24-7. Only in the Gospel of John, we have two chapters where Jesus' disciples went to a festival that he didn't go to until later on. Two chapters in the whole Gospel of John, Jesus is without his disciples. But the rest of the time, wherever Jesus was, there was his disciples. Wherever the disciples were, there was Jesus. So you get this? That Jesus gave us this blueprint, and not only did he give it to us, but he lived it. So what does it tell us that we're supposed to do? Well... First, we have to go back and we have to deal with the doubt, okay? Because whenever it says that they doubted, Jesus' first comment to them whenever he got to them was what? I have been given all authority in heaven and earth. You see this? Jesus is saying, I have been given all authority under heaven and earth. There is no longer doubt in the disciples' minds. Jesus is telling them and us right here that everything that I said and every time I told you who I was, I am exactly who I said I was. All authority is underneath my name. So for us, we have to understand that all authority is underneath the name of Jesus Christ in the heavens and here on earth. There should be another amen. Marcus, can you grab that sign at least wave it? Uh, yeah. So there shouldn't be any doubt to us. There, there shouldn't be any doubt as far as who is in charge of what's going on. And because of who is in charge of what's going on, we can then become and do what he has called us and asked us to do. Now, whenever you turn to that particular passage of Scripture, I imagine that it had a subtitle or a heading on that that said something like the Great Commission, or some of them has, uh, you know, and you might have even been preached to or, or a preacher has even told you that this was the blueprint of the church. So however you have this and however this title is and it is titled to you, we look into this and we do. We get this understanding that it is for the church. But I want us to make sure here, making disciples is the noun. Making disciples is the noun in this passage of Scripture, making disciples is not 
an option. It doesn't say if you would like to make disciples. It says go and make disciples. So as believers in Jesus Christ and understanding that all authority is underneath his name, all authority in heaven and earth is under him, then we go and we make disciples. The go, the baptize, and the teaching is the verb of the noun. There's your English lesson. So it's not an option for us to do or to be disciples. You can't sit there and say, well, you know, I really can't speak all that well. So I can't be a disciple. Moses said he couldn't speak all that well, and he delivered the Israelites out of bondage, right? You know, what about, you know, people, you know, like, well, you know, I, I don't really like talking in, in front of a group, of, a large group of people. There again, Jesus gave us the blueprint of this. How many people did Jesus talk to 24-7? Twelve. There's eleven here because of Judas. Twelve. That's not a large crowd, right? You have more than that at your dining table whenever your family gathers together. Why can't we talk to them? You know, we are supposed to be making disciples. The church is commanded to produce disciples. Can I tell you, I want to, before I say that, I want to thank you for being here in the sanctuary. Those of you that are watching at home, thank you for watching at home. But this is not making disciples. Okay, can I, can I get you to understand that? By coming into this large sanctuary, by sitting here and listening to me preach, that is not becoming a disciple and that is not making disciples. So that is not what the church is called to do. What is the church called to do? Whenever we gather together with like-minded people, what are we called to do? To worship God. Discipleship happens in the community. Discipleship happens in the small groups. Now, I want you to understand this. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about getting away or doing away with Sunday morning, Sunday night or Wednesday night. I'm not talking about that. But for us to truly do what the church is supposed to do, we have to get back to the beginning in the way that God truly created the church. Think about it. The gospel in the church was built Because people gathered together in their homes and they ate and fellowshiped and then they came on the Sabbath and they worshiped together. So whenever they got together on the Sabbath, they celebrated the things that happens in the homes on the week. 
They praise and they worshiped God because of what he has done for them throughout the week. It said daily. It was added to the numbers. Daily. Added to the numbers. It's important also for us to remember that we cannot separate disciple making from evangelism. Evangelism and disciple making are not connected. They are interwoven together that you cannot do one without the other. You cannot be evangelistic and not be disciple making. It can't happen. The church of the Nazarene, as we will look and see, they embodied this and they designed this from the beginning of the of the denomination of the church of the Nazarene. Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20, gives us a mandate that we are supposed to make disciples. Everything involved in the Great Commission centers around the command to make disciples. Centers around the command to make disciples. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Before his ascension, Christ told his followers, Go and make disciples of all nations. The commissioned followers went out into a hostile world and spread the good news through the power of the Holy Spirit. The church began to formalize its doctrine, particularly its doctrine of the Trinity, beginning with the Council of Nicaea in 325 AD. This was the first ecumenical council. Under the guidance of great leaders known as the Church Fathers, the Christian faith developed a canon of scripture and the Nicene Creed, the church flourished. From the beginning, there were cultural and theological differences between the Greek-speaking churches of the East and the Latin-speaking churches of the West. In 1054, these differences led to a schism that separated the patriarchal center of Rome, which split from the other four established patriarchs. This would form what we know today as the Roman Catholic Church. In the early 16th century, Martin Luther developed a new understanding of the gospel that led to another split in the Western Church. That split led to the creation of many facets of Protestantism. An Englishman named John Wesley transformed the understanding of the faith again with his belief that all Christians could that would germinate years later. The Wesleyan holiness revival of the mid-19th century nourished the seed that Asbury planted. It emphasized the theology and experience of entire sanctification. Phoebe Palmer was a pivotal leader in this revival. 
Holiness Christians across the nation had a common faith, but the regional pressures that resulted in the American Civil War caused many churches to split into northern and southern branches. Phineas Brzee, a Methodist minister, experienced the grace of entire sanctification as a pastor in Iowa. Later, when he moved to California, he met others who shared his experience. An ever-growing group of people who shared the vision of organized holiness and helping the poor gathered at the Christmas love feasts that Brzee conducted annually. With Brzee as one of its leaders, the group established itself as a new church in 1895. A Los Angeles physician and educator named J.P. Whitney helped lead this group and suggested the name for the new denomination. Whitney recognized that their mission was the same as the toiling, lowly mission of Jesus of Nazareth. The group adopted the name, the Church of the Nazarene. The new church erected a plain, simple building, which was called the Glory Barn. Brzee believed the poor and all classes of people needed fellowships that would be true community churches, faithful to the gospel witness and the deeper Christian life. One person called the worship services there, the greatest thing you ever saw. Brzee's group merged with other holiness organizations, the first uniting General Assembly was held in Chicago in 1907. H.F. Reynolds, who administered in New England and the Mid-Atlantic States, was elected General Superintendent along with Brzee. Reynolds gave great leadership to the United Church of the Nazarene, especially in the area of global missions. Los Angeles Nazarenes were passionate about helping the needy, the dispossessed, and immigrants. May McReynolds led the mission work to the Hispanic people in an arc extending from California to Texas. California Nazarenes also reached out to Japanese and Chinese immigrants in their communities. The groups that united around the Nazarene banner all ordained women. This common thread helped bind them together. Women were ordained in the East in 1892 and in the South in 1899. In the West, Brzee ordained Elsie Wallace of Spokane, Washington in 1902 and Lucy Knott of Los Angeles in 1903. At the 1908 General Assembly in Pilot Point, Texas, the second major merger took place when the Southern Holiness Church of Christ merged with the Nazarenes. This was the first church reconciliation of North and South since the great divisions that took place during the Civil War. 1908 stands as the official anniversary date of the Church of the Nazarene. Brzee and Reynolds were re-elected as general superintendents and presided over the Pilot Point Assembly. A third leader was added to general superintendents at this time, E.P. Ellison from the South. While many leaders helped form the Church of the Nazarene, Phineas Brzee, with his broad spirit and unifying ability, stands as the most prominent. The Church of the Nazarene was founded on discipleship. You notice that all of the ministries that they talked about, whether it be a startup or whether it be the churches that came and joined together, there was never a moment in time in the history of the Church of the Nazarene that whenever they established something or they went to a place to spread the gospel, that they did not stay there to teach and to develop the place in the church that they were in. At no point in time in the history of the Church of the Nazarene. So as your pastor, I talked about this in our year-end meeting. As we are going to focus on community groups within this next year. I want you to see and to understand and to know 
that this is not just simply a harebrained idea or scheme or thing that I came up with. This is scriptural. This is going back to the Bible and beginning exactly where Jesus Christ started the church with his disciples. He said, this is the way that you are supposed to spread the gospel. I want you to see in this that we have these words that it commands us to make disciples. It tells us that we must go and make disciples. So we have to go. Many of you have experienced churches that has the words as you exit out of the sanctuary or outside of the building that it says you are now entering into the, into the mission field. It's because whenever we leave this place, this sanctuary, we are supposed to take Jesus Christ with us and go into the world to make disciples. But there's, something th- there's some things that we miss whenever it says to go, because all of us go, right? All of y'all should say yes, because none of y'all spend the night in here. We all go, and we leave this building. But whenever we leave the building, we don't do what the going is supposed to do. Whenever we go, we are supposed to do what? We're supposed to make disciples. But then it also goes in and it tells us in the making disciple part, what do we do? We go and do what? We baptize. We baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Have any of you ever baptized anybody? Okay, that's good. I should have raised my hand. Because in the church of the Nazarene, baptism is a sacrament, so it is done by ordained elders in the church of the Nazarene. But how many of you have ever led someone to know Christ as their Savior? Because remember, yeah, remember... It's not the baptism that saves anybody. It's the prayer of repentance and accepting Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior that saves them. So any time that you do that and you pray with them, then you're doing what the commission tells us to do, as in we're making disciples. But all too often what we do is, is if we pray, if we're lucky enough to pray with someone through that, Then we say, oh, man, that was great. Man, that felt wonderful. And then we go on about our own business. But what does the Scripture tell us that we're supposed to do? Because after after we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to teach them. Right? We're, We're supposed to teach them. We don't do that. Why do we not teach people that you know what they're supposed to do? Why don't we do that? Because it takes time. It takes time. And because of this rat race of a world that we live in, we can't take the time to teach someone what they're supposed to know. Part of this is the detriment of the church. Right? I say right because I know the answer. 
Uh, you know, the church did one of the worst things that they could ever have done whenever they started hiring children's pastors and youth pastors. Because what they told them, what they did at that point in time was they told parents, don't worry about your kids, we will tell them about the gospel. Instead of bringing the parents along and saying, parents, here's how you can share the gospel to your children. There's, there's a guy that lives right back behind us here that has four buses that he fills up every Sunday morning and he takes kids and drops them off at church and then he comes back and picks them up later on. Not a parent one involved in any of it. So whenever they leave the church and they go back home, do they get scripture read to them? Do they get anything about church given to them? No. Because we're not doing it right. Jesus spent 24 hours a day, seven days a week, for three and a half years teaching his disciples what they needed to know so that they could teach the other generation on how to be a disciple. Jesus gave us every single thing that we need to understand and to know what we are supposed to do in growing the kingdom of God. Now I want you to see that it's growing the kingdom of God that we're interested in. It's not necessarily growing the numbers of Rock Hill First Church of the Nazarene. Hopefully if we do the discipleship part right... That they'll come to the church anyway. But the main focus is to get them to understand and to worship Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. Y'all have gotten really quiet. So either I'm way off the, off the deep end or I'm right on spot. And I believe I'm right on the spot. Because churches for so long have been trying to figure out what scheme or what game can we do tonight that's going to get more people here. It's not about getting people here. It's about getting people into the kingdom of heaven. And the way that we get people into the kingdom of heaven is that we disciple them. And remember, I've already said that this is not discipleship. Church of the Nazarene has been really big on Sunday school, right? You remember? Growing up, always had Sunday school. Children's Sunday school. You've got children's church. You've got adult Sunday school. It's all the time. It's the, they preach it. They preach it. They preach it. But I want you to know it's not working. Seven years ago, this church was running over a hundred people in Sunday school. You know how many people we had in Sunday school last Sunday? 25. You can't say it's because it's a different time, Pastor. You have one service at this time and one service here. Before that, before the pandemic, the largest number that we had the year before the pandemic was we had 82 
It's not working. So we try to figure out things to do. How do we do this? How do we do this discipleship? We go back to the beginning. They met in homes. Why did they meet in homes? They had a temple, right? They could still go to the temple. Why did they meet in homes? Because it's safe in homes. Whenever I invite you to my dining room table to sit and to have a meal, then we open up and we talk about things that we wouldn't talk about church. We talk about stresses and we talk about strains that's in our lives that we wouldn't talk about in Sunday school. They added daily to the number. Now, I use this in the morning service, and I'm going to go ahead and use it again. If Marcus said that he was going to cook, and anybody that wanted to come to Marcus's house on Tuesday night, he's cooking, how many of you would show up? I would. Marcus is a good cook. I would show up. You know, the thing about it is, whenever we are able to meet at homes, we're able to relax and, and be who we are. We're, we're able to take our mask off. Now, on Sunday mornings, what do we do? How many of you does it take an hour to get dressed for church on Sunday mornings? Go ahead. just You don't have to raise them up high. Just go ahead. Just an hour, two hours, 45 minutes. Uh, you know, it takes me. I stand in my closet. What am I going to wear today? Trying to pick out a shirt. Trying to pick out pants. I mean, it got so bad this morning that I picked out the shirt first. I'm like, I want to wear that blue polka dotted shirt today. What can I match with it? So I put the shirt on and stood there and looked at the pants and said, which ones? We get prepared to look like Christians to come to church on Sunday mornings. I hope you understand this. Right? Whenever you come to church on Sunday mornings... Are you ready to open up to the person that's right there at the door about your struggles that you had this week? Are you prepared to be honest in your Sunday school class? No. You just spent an hour getting dressed. You just spent an hour trying to figure out what that perfect outfit was going to be for this day. And the whole time, we're dressing up something that's broken so that it doesn't look broken. Man, I'm going to start crying on that one. 
because we're all broken. But whenever we come to church on Sundays, we expect to be perfect. Jesus never expected us to be perfect. The only way that we can be perfect is with Him. But we have to be honest with ourselves. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 19, it tells us that we need to go. In Luke chapter 24, verse 47, Luke tells us that we need to proclaim. It says, it, is, it, it was also written that the message would be proclaimed in the authority of the name, of, of his name, to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. How many of you have ever been to Jerusalem? Nobody in this congregation. How many of you know where Jerusalem is? How many of you know that this passage of Scripture is not talking about the Jerusalem, Jerusalem, but the Jerusalem as in your community, where you are? You are supposed to do what? Proclaim the message. The message is the gospel. And the gospel says that there is forgiveness of sin for all who repent. John chapter 20 verse 21. It says again he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. So Jesus gives us this declaration as the disciples are standing behind closed doors in the gospel of John. And Jesus shows up and they're scared that it's a ghost. And he tells them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. So the Father sent Jesus to this world to do what? To spread the gospel. And the gospel is what? That there is forgiveness of sin to all who confess and believe that I am the Son of God. And Jesus says that since the Father has sent me, I am now sending you. Sending each and every one of us to proclaim the gospel. To let everyone know that we can all. Be forgiven from our sins as long as we repent. And then, of course, in Matthew, he tells us that we need to go, commands us to go, commands us. Just because we don't prefer or we prefer not. To speak about the gospel. Doesn't mean that he is going to let us get away. With not spreading the gospel. We need to get back to the beginning. Back to the way that God truly designed the church to be. Now don't get me wrong. As your pastor, I'm not saying that we're not going to have Sunday night or Sunday morning services or Sunday night services or Wednesday night services. But what I'm saying is, is that we need to get back to disciple making. 
And the way that we make disciples is by community groups. By gathering together in small groups, opening ourselves up to the people that's around us so that we can grow. Not so that they can grow, but so that we can grow. It's not just this hair-schemed idea that I, as your pastor here at Rock Hill First Church, has decided that this is what we're going to do to hopefully grow the church. No, this is something that Scripture is telling us that we need to do. So in close of the service this morning, I'd ask that everyone would stand. Everybody stand. I'm going to ask the question just like I asked the first service. In hearing and seeing the scripture and reading what God truly has for us and the way that church was supposed to be and how it is supposed to be done. If you are willing to host a community group, please make your way forward. If you're willing to host a community group, I will tell you that you don't have to teach the community group. You just simply need to host it. Okay. Then I would like for us to do this. The couple that has opened up and said, I will host a community group. I would like for us to gather around this couple because they have just opened up their home to be disciples and to worship and to praise God and to teach and to grow. Let's gather around them because we're going to pray a prayer of blessing upon them. They were brave enough. They don't even know what they're doing, but they said, hmm, this sounds good. I'm going to do what they're asking. I will let you know since you have stood and said that you would do this, that there is going to be training for the host group, okay, as far as what this host home is supposed to be and how it's supposed to be, how it's supposed to work, okay? I will tell you that it's a four-legged stool that's involved in it, and I asked the question, how many of you have sat in a one-legged stool? It's uncomfortable. They have them, that, you know, the hunting one-legged stool. I've sat in a three-legged stool, and that one's uncomfortable, too. Now, we have four-legged stools in our sanctuary or in, in the uh, foyer, and they're fairly comfortable. So it's a whole lot better to be in a four-legged stool than it is in a three- or two-legged or even a one-legged stool. So we're going to teach you how to do a four-legged stool. Guys, this is what God has for us to do. This is, this is not a trick. This is not a new program or anything just simply to hopefully do this. There is a community group that meets not very far away from here that walk the streets on Tuesdays. Each and every one of them are recovering alcoholics or drug addicts. There's 11 or 12 that sit in a driveway 
and talk about their week and their struggles and talk about the gospel, about Jesus Christ and how the forgiveness is there. That's life. That's church. This church has a community group that meets at Knowledge Perk every Tuesday. We talk about life, we talk about scripture, and we laugh, and we drink good coffee. That's the way that the church was supposed to be built. And then we gather together on Sunday mornings to worship and to thank God for what he did in those community groups throughout the week. So whenever Marcus and Renee has someone that accepts Jesus Christ in their hearts, in their community group, we get to come that next Sunday and celebrate and have a baptism. Wow. If you have someone that you know that's afraid of church because they've been hurt in church, a community group. That's the best way to be able to communicate to them. The best way to share the gospel to them. Because it's open. I wasn't supposed to preach a second message here. Sorry, I thank everybody for standing this long. Let us simply pray a blessing upon this home and upon the people that are here that God will show up and make and do miraculous things in their lives and in their homes. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you so much, God, for this. God, I, I praise you, God, that this family was willing to open up. And God, to do church the way that you have called us to truly do. God, I pray that you will bless them. I pray that you will bless their home. I pray that you will bless each one that comes into their community group. That they grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. And before you leave, let me go ahead and pray our prayer of benediction, and you can go for the day. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this word, and I thank you for all that you have done for us. God, I pray that your face would shine upon us, and God, that your blessings will be poured out upon each one that is here. In Jesus' name, amen.